Happy Easter. Come on. Uh, I'm, I'm really not even sure how to process everything that's going on uh, today. There's been so many testimonies of God's faithfulness and provision and just the way he is building uh, this church in this time and in this place. It really is overwhelming and uh, it's, it's, just, it's just great to be here. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, just welcome to this special day. We are going to read a pretty big chunk of scripture together this morning. Um, but before we do that, I want to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background on the author of this gospel account, the author Luke. So Luke was a doctor by trade. So if you guys know any doctors, they're pretty smart guys typically uh, to get through medical school. You got to know a few things. Um, but Luke was also a Gentile, which means that he was non-Jewish. Okay, And that's important for us to know because Luke came to faith most likely through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. So, so Luke himself was not walking around this planet with Jesus But what Luke did was he went around after coming to faith to all of the eyewitnesses who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who witnessed his resurrection, and he compiled this detailed account of what happened. And so as we dive into Luke chapter 24, just keep that in the back of your mind that Luke was a sharp guy who did his homework. Doctors better pay attention to details, right? If not, we're in trouble. Uh, So I'm going to invite Sharon Wilms up to read the passage for us, and she's going to read Luke chapter 24. So let's listen to the word of God together. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they stood there puzzling about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about all these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, He showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Thank you, Sharon. What a powerful story, is it not? Well, I'm not sure how you feel about Monday morning, but it's typically the most dreaded day of the week for people in our culture, right? It's back to work. The weekend and the fun is over and the daily grind begins once again. Well, for the people in our story today, this is the situation they find themselves in because to them, Sunday was the first day of the week. Saturday was the Sabbath, the day of rest and refreshment and the day they would gather for worship and feast together with their family and their friends. But Sunday meant it's back to work. So not only is, is this the first day of the week for them and, and not always the most exciting today to, day to come back into, but this is the, the first day of the week following the most tragic event that many of these people have ever experienced. Have you ever woke up on that, mor- on that, on that Monday morning after losing a friend, after losing a family member, after losing a child This is what is going on in the minds and hearts of those as we begin this passage. They're waking up with deep grief and deep sorrow in their hearts. And so picture with me that that that's that's your situation. And you're at home and you're uh, on the couch or sitting at the kitchen table early that morning and just overwhelmed by the realities and the hardships of life. And maybe you're flipping through your phone just to be distracted by something and all of a sudden you read this in the news feed. The tomb of Jesus found empty. At first you'd probably say to yourself, is this a sick joke? Are you kidding me? This is not something to make light of. The person I love and who I've followed is dead, and you're telling me that they're alive. Imagine the emotion of that moment, and that is exactly the mindset and the heart of those in our text today. And what I want to do is I want to just make three observations from the text today that I hope and I pray will fill your heart with an incredible amount of hope, even in the midst of the darkest circumstances of your life. And the first observation, it's in your notes there, is that humans are prone to doubt God's word. We're prone to doubt God. As the ladies come to the tomb and they find it empty, right? They're they're met by these angels and and being terrified, they bow their faces to the ground. And if you've ever met an angel, I'm sure you would do the same thing. And this is what the angel says to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
Well, earlier in the same gospel account in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus plainly told this to his disciples. And there's multiple occasions where Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. And then I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be murdered. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. I just want to prepare you, forewarn you. This is what is going to happen. And so here's Jesus' followers. Really, they should have been coming to the grave. Like sitting there with their popcorn, ready for Jesus to pop out. Like what is going to happen? You have to realize that these men and women were following Jesus for, for around three years of time. They've witnessed him bring people back to life already. They've seen him calm a storm with a word from his mouth. They've seen him heal the sick and the lame and the blind. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, they forgot his word that he said he would die and rise on the third day. Even those who lived and walked with Jesus doubted the word of God in some way, shape, or form. And so here are these ladies, they get this vision from this angel and this message, and they're all excited, right? Their faith is bolstered, and so they run back to tell the rest of Jesus' followers, and this is their response in verse 11. But these words seem to them an idle tale, seem like nonsense, and they did not believe them. We are all prone to doubt God. All Every human is prone to doubt God in some way, shape, or form. And you guys, I don't have to tell you, but we live in a world of skeptics and a world of critics. We question everything, right? The news feeds are filled with fake news. So what are we really to believe? But this, I believe, is the ultimate curse upon humanity, is that we don't take God, our creator, at his word. We doubt him. We doubt his love for us. We doubt his goodness. We doubt his power. And instead, what do we do? We trust ourselves. Seems pretty foolish when you just say it like that, right? (laughs) Hey, I'm not going to trust God who made me, and I'm going to trust in myself and my own understanding and my own abilities to figure out the purpose of this life and the reason for my existence. We are all prone to doubt our maker. And, and hence, it's, it's kind of ironic. The one thing that God requires of us for salvation is our trust in him. We're all prone to doubt, and God requires our trust. You feel the tension there. You should. This brings me to my second observation, is that Jesus gives us evidence to believe. And I believe he gives us ample evidence to believe, right? So, so in the story, he's, he comes and he appears amongst these two men who are walking on this road to the town of Emmaus. And he just nonchalantly kind of enters their conversation. Hey, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> and they, remember that says they just, they stood still like, what do you mean? What are we talking about? Like, do you live under a rock? And Jesus is like, oh, well, go ahead. Just tell me what's going on. And so they proceed to say, have you not heard about Jesus? Our hope was in him, and he was crucified. He was handed over. And now there's these rumors going around that he's alive, and just 
we're just confused. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to believe. And you may remember verse 25 where Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And I love this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, things concerning him. So Jesus masterfully does something here. He takes this book that they revere as the word of God. He takes the Old Testament and he he opens their eyes and their minds to see that all of it is pointing to Jesus. For over a thousand years, there have been books written of God's story that was coming to this culmination point in Jesus Christ. And Jesus opens their eyes and explains to them everything that has been written in the past was written in preparation for him. Now, I can't prove this to you, but uh, uh, I would wager on this that Jesus quoted from Isaiah chapter 53. In, in explaining to him Moses and the prophets, I, I think Jesus quoted this passage from Isaiah 53. And you got to take in mind, Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, okay? So this is written 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6 through 9. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal And was put in a rich man's grave. If you go back and read the account of the way that Jesus, his life and his death, the way he died, this is exactly what you will find. This happened. And what I love about this passage, it just doesn't tell us how it's going to happen. It tells us why it's going to happen. It's because all of us like sheep have gone astray. Humanity has turned and doubted God to trust in their own way. And it says that God has laid the consequences of our sin and our rebellion upon Jesus Christ at the cross. If you ever wondered why the church calls this past Friday Good Friday, it's because of this. It's because Jesus bore our sin and our shame in our place. That's good news. For humans. I could also imagine that Jesus quoted for them Psalm 1610. This is written by King David around 1000 BC. So 1000 years before Christ hit the scene. And, and King David wrote this. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is a prediction, a prophecy that the Holy One, Jesus Christ would not be left to rot in the grave, but would come back to life. 
Now, we don't have time to go through uh, the 300 plus Old Testament prophecies, and I'm curious how many Jesus actually went through on this conversation along the road, but these are just two examples of 300 born from this over 1,000 year period of time in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but that, that gives me reason to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That gives me hope that what we put our faith in is real. And it also should cause all of us to realize Jesus cannot be ignored. You see, Jesus also claimed that he was the only way to God. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And then he backed up his claim by walking out of the grave. Do you know anyone else who's claimed to be God and then brought themselves back to life just as they predicted they would? I don't. After Jesus' resurrection, we know from the history of Scripture that there were over 500 eyewitnesses. Over 500 people saw Jesus in bodily form alive after he was brutally murdered on the cross. This should give us reason to believe. My last observation from the text is this, is that repentance is an act of faith. Repentance is an act of faith. So the disciples are gathered and there's rumors of Jesus being alive and the two show up from the road and say, no, it's true, he is alive, he is alive. And they're all doubting, they're all confused, they're mourning. Just imagine that moment. And then Jesus himself appears in their midst. What's up, guys? <laughs> An intense moment. And, and to continue to, uh, to deflect their disbelief, he shows them the, the nails in his wrists, that he, in fact, was the one that was hanging on that cross, proved that he'd been crucified. And I love it in the text, it says that, uh, as they were still in disbelief and marveling that Jesus is like, hey, give me something to eat. <laughs> Anyone else chuckle at that? Like just, Jesus like, hey, you got anything to eat? I'm hungry. I've been in the grave for three days. Stomach is empty. But here again, let's see what Jesus does. Luke 24, verse 45 says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Second time we've heard that. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. In the name of Jesus Christ, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to every tribe, tongue, and nation on the planet. We are here today because the gospel has permeated the entire world, starting in Jerusalem. And now we're here today celebrating this very event and this promise that has come true. Well, you may not be familiar with this word repentance, but it means to do a 180. It's actually uh, originally a military term that meant to do an about face. So I'm walking this way and repent and say, oh, nope. I'm going this way. And what Jesus means when he says, repent for the forgiveness of sins, 
He means that when you are confronted with the holy perfection of God, God calls you to agree with him that you have been a rebel. To admit to him, yes, I have broken your law. I have not walked in your ways. I have gone astray. And repenting is acknowledging that, confessing your sin, and then turning to God and begin to walk in his ways. Begin to follow after Jesus in relationship with him by faith. Repentance is an act of faith in the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is simply this, that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live. Jesus died the sacrificial death that you deserved to die. And Jesus rose again, conquering the power of sin and death and offering eternal life to all who will believe in him. This is the gift of God out of love from his heart towards his creation. And it's a gift that can only be received. You can never earn it. There's nothing you can do but to receive it by faith. And while faith in the gospel is the only way of salvation, this idea of repentance is not just this one-time thing. It's not just like, okay, repent, and that's, that's it. Now you're good. In a salvation way, yes, that is true. But repentance is the lifestyle of the Christian. The great reformer Martin Luther said this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. So what that means for us is all of us are prone to turn back to the old life. All of us are prone to be tempted to stop following Jesus because we get deceived into believing we can find life and joy elsewhere, but we can't. And this is why God gave us his word, he gave us his spirit, he gave us his church, so that we would be constantly reminded that the only path of life and joy and peace is in following Jesus. Yes, it's a hard road of dying to yourself, but it is the only path of life. Well, maybe you've come in here this morning and you feel distant from God in some way. Maybe you come in here not really knowing what you believe about Jesus. Well, part of these feelings could be rooted in the fact that you've never really believed. You've never really trusted in Jesus. You've never really agreed with God and your need for forgiveness. But another reason you could feel distant from God is that maybe you're not actively pursuing a relationship with him. Maybe you, you have some things in your life that you're not willing to let go of. That you know God is asking you to let go of. There are many reasons why we can feel distant to God. But no matter where you are this morning, my hope and my prayer for you that on this Resurrection Sunday is that you would embrace and you would believe in the kindness and the grace of God shown through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you is that you would respond to his love. Do you remember as those men are walking along the path and they remember that and they're like, man, was our heart not burning within us? Like something was going on inside of us as Jesus was sharing this truth with us. Like we, we couldn't explain it. 
And that's what it's like when the word of God comes to life for you. And so if you've never had that happen where you are just marveled at the word of God, I want to challenge you this morning to spend time in his word. To read the full account of Jesus' life and ministry. There's four separate gospel accounts that are all telling the same thing written from different people. And I just would challenge you, read the words of Jesus and allow his word to stir your soul. There is no place on the planet that you will find life, joy, or peace apart from pursuing a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I know because I've tried it. I lived 21 years of my life for myself, seeking the temporary pleasures of this world. And it came up empty. And my soul came up wanting. I was never satisfied. Nothing in life could quench the thirst of my soul until I found Jesus Christ. And the reason we celebrate Easter, the reason we gather this morning is because Jesus is alive. And only Jesus has the power to take a dead person who is drifting away from God and bring them to life and show them the eternal hope that is found in him. Jesus' resurrection proves that he is God and proves he has the power over sin and death. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate.